And now for your listening pleasure, here's Polizzi and Rose, PNR with This Old Marketing. Take it away, boys. Hello, content marketers. I'm Robert Rose, and welcome to episode number 112 of PNR's This Old Marketing, recorded Monday, January 4th, 2016. Well, you might have thought that my introduction to this show this week was going to be about resolutions, you know, New Year's resolutions. But yeah, we're four days into the new year and mine are already broken. Hello, Brunello de Montalcino. And you most likely already broke yours too. So what else can we look forward to in 2016? Consider this an advance on what we might be using here at PNR to intro over the next 12 months. The big doings of 2016, as it were. So first of all, it's a leap year. So yeah, one extra day to get your content marketing plans into shape or post that extra kitten picture on Facebook. It's a big year in the UK, of course. April marks the 400th anniversary of the death of Shakespeare, the 350th anniversary of the Great Fire of London, and hello, the 90th anniversary or birthday of Queen Liz's birth. So let the festivities begin. For us here in America, well, we get the Juno spacecraft, which after a five-year mission to explore strange new... Oh, never mind. It will start orbiting Jupiter on July 4th of this year. The Summer Olympics come to Rio in August, as well as a Guns N' Roses reunion tour, and both are going to be, well, maybe in tip-top shape by the time it comes around. And yes, of course, movies. We geeks have our movies. And we have the first of World of Warcraft movie. We got the first of six King Arthur movies because, you know, none of us remembers how that story turns out. Spoiler, Lancelot, kind of a cheater. And even, yes, sigh, an Angry Birds movie. Content marketing, anybody? And then, yeah, a whole lot of sequels. The third installment of Kung Fu Panda, Batman vs. Superman, Captain America Civil War, X-Men Apocalypse, Finding Dory, Independence Day 487, The Mummy, Star Trek, and yes, even Ghostbusters. And finally, if that didn't just get your appetite all whetted for an amazing 2016, we have just over 300 days till we pick our next president here in the U.S. Somewhere along the way, Hillary's going to be coronated. The Republicans are going to pick somebody, I guess. And in July, of all places, Cleveland will leave just enough hairspray in the air to help us kick off content marketing world in September. All along the way, of course, we'll be here, Joe and I, for you every single week, giving you the best of content marketing news and views and just plain old snarky good fun. So let's get this first recorded show of 2016 underway. And for that, it's time to bring in my friend, my colleague, my co-host, the Happy New Year baby, the 2016 of content marketing, Mr. Joe Polizzi. How are you, my friend? I'm doing very well. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Uh, did you make any resolutions? I Well, okay, so I have this tradition that I've done for... Uh, 20 years now where I actually journal. I actually journal for all day on New Year's Eve. And it goes into the evening and we have a lovely dinner and we do that and I sort of journal and, and sort of talk about what I felt really great about this year and what I'm hoping to accomplish in the new year. So it's not really resolutions, but it's really sort of the writing. It's what you talk about a lot and you, the way you sort of set goals and do all that kind of stuff. And Like, and is, it a year, a is it a year in review or it's what you're yeah. going to do the next year? It's both. Oh, okay. It's both. It's, it's everything that I'm proud of in the year that's passed, everything that I accomplished, everything that I didn't get accomplished that I wanted to get accomplished, and I sort of just write it all out. And then I write out in a similar fashion what I'm trying to do for – the coming year, and I've done that for 15 years, and it's fascinating to go back and look at. Oh, I you know, bet you the, that's the awesome going back and, and looking at like from 10 years ago. 
Yeah. Oh, it's 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 amazing. It's 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 unbelievable to see, you know, the stuff that I was asking for, you know, really trying to get into incorporated into my life ten years ago when I was, you know, a marketing dude at a software company versus a now. Just a little pup. Yeah, just <laughs> <laughs> A little pup with yeah. long hair. Oh yeah, there you go. All right then. Yeah, a little, <laughs> a little marketing pup. So what? What's the what's the big thing then for for 2016? Uh, my word, and I come up. I have a word every year um, that I come up with that I sort of basically center everything on. My word for this year is evolve. Evolve. Yeah, I have no response to that. Yeah. Well. <laughs> <laughs> I am but a caveman, and I will come out of my cave using tools. You know, speaking of Evolve, I'm not very excited about all the movies you announced that are I know, right? I mean, I was looking at them. I'm not looking forward to any of the ones. The one I missed, the one that people will, certainly our creative director, JK, will uh, chide me for, is I missed Rogue One, which is the, the new Star Wars movie, which is a prequel even to any of the movies. Um, well, no, wait a minute. It would be just, it would be bef- between six and uh, one, basically. Between In other words, right one. after, before A New Hope. It was, it's basically when the, when the Rebel Alliance got Oh, between got three and four, then. Right. Movies, th- th- as it were. Oh, I, whatever. What? Yeah. <laughs> it's because yeah. we definitely need more Star Wars merchandising <laughs> opportunities because well, we, we missed I mean, a whole slew of them. Look, if you know, if 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 Disney's going to avoid getting bought by Apple, then we're going to have to do something. Well, that's going to happen. <laughs> that's not going to happen next year, 2017. I know you really think it's going to happen. In, oh in 16, dear, it's going to happen in in 17. And of yeah. course, I mean, my prediction didn't come true. By the way, Google did not buy Twitter, so we have that working for us. Uh, so, it, but I'm standing it, by it. I'm standing by it for 2016. I'm well, going to stand by it this year. Well, I don't know if you've noticed, but Twitter's stock is down to like $22. I know. Now, it, it's, they're, there's it's now their prime. It's on sale. There's yeah. a sale going on. And, uh, and I think Google has enough uh, couch cushion money that they yeah. could, uh, they could <laughs> exactly. buy Twitter at this point. That is exactly Just right. Leftover. Whatever. All right, my friend. Uh, yeah, to, to the news. To the news we shall go. Well, okay, here we go. The first story of the first show recorded in 2016. Of course, of course, ring the bell. It would be about native advertising. So we have three stories that we're going to pair together here because all three of them are related. And it's all really, I think, coming out of the sort of wake of the FTC basically talking about what we talked about last week on the show, coming down on native advertising and the criteria. And so the first story is from Media Post which is a study that was run and released in December of this year, or last year, rather now. Consumers can't tell native ads from editorial, which we'll cover in just a second. But basically, the study said that consumers now have difficulty distinguishing between native advertising and editorial content. The second piece comes to us from AdAge, which is now the IAB, the Interactive Advertising Bureau, said a basically in response to the FTC stuff that, yeah, we're going to have to make them be a little careful about this. We're not really sure that they should be taking such a stance on this and like. <laughs> 
you know, like the IAB has a big plan. Anyway, I won't go off on a rant here. But then the third one is from The Guardian, which is actually in the UK, of course. And they talk about how the uh, Telegraph is a publisher that has been reprimanded by the advertising watchdog in that country for failing to adequately label an online advertorial for Michelin tires. And so what say you, Joe Polizzi? Are we now in the era of native ads finally getting some comeuppance? Are we going to start to see people get in trouble for this? And are we going to start to see standards? What do you think? Well, it was interesting. As soon as I read the first one, which was on the study, uh, where consumers couldn't tell what's native or what's not. And you know what? They can't for the most part. Uh, when I did, let's see, what was this? This is back in October in New York where um, I did that consumer panel right, at the right. One Spot event. And the consumers were up there and they couldn't, like, you, you could put just about anything in front of them. And outside of paid for by, even sponsored was a little bit hazy. They didn't know. They couldn't tell. Presented by, they had, I mean, that doesn't tell them anything, and it's amazing. We're so inside baseball with a lot of this stuff. We think that, oh, of course, you put presented by or you put brand sure. voice, and they they know they don't know. They absolutely they don't know. I, right. I think this exactly. is interesting. That it. What was it like? And I might argue don't care, but that's a well, whole different. That's thing. what was the only, seventeen out of two hundred and forty-two subjects. So under eight percent were able to identify native advertising as paid marketing messages. Right. That's low. That's not good. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Well, it depends on your perspective, yeah, really. I so. so I guess what we were talking about before the show I think will happen is that the FTC has to say this is the way you need to do it. If you're going to do paid content opportunities, you need to say, what would it be? Paid. This is a paid post or a sponsored post and get rid of all the other ones like the presented by and the brand voice and – uh, in association with, which was one of these. Oh, that was the Michelin one, right? That was the, it, yeah. So the Guardian. So that's the interesting thing here is is that the Guardian, who actually did talk about this, the Telegraph is the publication that was reprimanded by their their advertising watchdog in the UK, Advertising Standards Authority, basically said that their language, which was in association with um, Michelin tires, wasn't clear enough that this was a paid placement. What what does in association with mean <laughs> well, exactly? exactly? Does that mean I mean, that I was by you know, them while look, I was writing as, it, or they if, were in the same vicinity, or as, we have we both have bowling memberships? I mean, like, as what does we've that mean, talked exactly? about on many occasions. <laughs> If I'm a publisher or I'm a marketer, I am going to push against these walls as hard as I can until they break. There is no reason that they shouldn't be doing exactly this, which is, I'm I, look, as a marketer, I, I again, I don't want them to know that I paid for it. I want them to think that it's this wonderful, amazing article, and I want them to do something and come over. Now, if I have to, I'm more than happy. You know, I play by the rules that I'm given. I work within the rules that I'm given. And if the IAB here wants to do something about it, it should do something about it and actually take action and, and explore some stuff. I mean, we talked about on the show in early December how the IAB basically came out and said, yep, our bad. We haven't really been on top of this and the whole ad unit thing and ad blocking thing and native advertising thing. We haven't really come out with a definitive point of view on this and standards and all this kind of stuff. And so if the IAB is going to really remain relevant in this new disrupted space, they're going to have to actually take some action and do something and propose some standards because otherwise it's going to be the, it is going to be the wild west out here and, and somebody's going to get in trouble. There's just, yeah, right now with what 
the last thing I saw from the IAB, there's just too many options. You can do it That's this right. way or this way or this way, and this is what most publishers do. And you just have to say, look, if you are an IAB member, this is the way it's got to be. It's got to be right. sponsored by or paid advertisement and done. Yeah, just, exactly. Just right. limit the opportunities because you simply and I, I mean, I just I like the fact what the in association with this cracked me up. I had to read that twice that they actually said that. Like, <laughs> well, this, uh, it's very British, right? I mean, it's very it's very British. It's, it's like, well, <laughs> I, I I guess so. But you know, the I didn't in reading this. Now, did the Advertising Standards Authority come down on Telegraph, or did they come down on Michelin? They came down on the Telegraph, actually. Okay, they, so for, for not, not making it clear, which is the which is basically what it really interestingly gets to in the Ad Age article, where they talk about you know, the FTC historically, and we talked about this last week, has not really come down on the publisher as much as it has on the advertiser. And now with this, it's quite the reverse, which is a reversal of roles and a very new thing for publishers to have to deal with, especially as they are the ones in many cases these days are going to be creating this content. Well, this is, did you read the last paragraph of the the Guardian article? This is really interesting because it's sort of, they sort of slid this in, but the, the ASA, the Advertising Standards Authority also found that claims in the article, in the Michelin article, and the video that premium tires, identifiable right. yeah. as those made exactly. by Michelin, would improve safety and performance in wet weather were not fully substantiated. So they looked – they weren't just looking at the labeling. They're looking at the content as well. That's, that's right. A, that's in, that's going <clears> to <throat> get interesting because oh, yeah. if you're a publisher – it's going to be basically up to you to say, well, now we've got to check all this content and we really and that's where I think we need to go because you know of course publishers have opened the floodgates to these opportunities where they didn't 5 years ago, even 3 years ago, and now in a lot of cases, especially on let's say Forbes where for years if you had a brand voice agreement, you could pretty much publish whatever you want. You didn't have to substantiate anything. It just yeah. said, "Hey, you're exactly. SAP voice or brand <laughs> right. voice exactly. or whatever." Exactly. And say whatever the heck you like. Yeah, say whatever the heck. Now, I think they've gotten better with it, but still, you could pretty much say whatever you want to. Now, I think that it's up to the media companies to come back at brands cuz you're right. If you're a brand, you want to put what you want to put. Yeah. And if if you if if you're a brand and you want to if you're a, a publisher and you want to keep your audience and keep them coming back, you better be really concerned, uh, not only with what the ASA or the FTC. Thinks, sure. I mean, if I'm a marketer, sure it's good content. If I'm if I if I'm a marketer and I am, I, you know, I'm gonna Captain Kirk Kobayashi Maru this thing all day long, right? You give me the game and I'm gonna game the system as much as I can. That's my job. That's my job is to figure out how I can change the rules to my advantage or bend them to my advantage. You know, this <laughs> the crack the one of the things that somebody sent us, obviously a lot of people sent us these articles over the holidays and said, hey, oh my gosh, this is really blowing up. And so, you know, the hat tips would be numerous here in terms of these three articles, the number of times they were sent. Um, But one of the things that I responded to somebody with was especially in response to the IAB who basically said, well, we need to take a look at this and we need to play here and we don't think they should be taking such a big active role here is that, you know, quite frankly, this is like this is like deflate gate with you know Tom Brady going yeah we don't really think the NFL should really have a lot to say in terms of the inflation pre- you know pressure percentage of of footballs you know 
teams out in the NFL are going to push the rules as far as the rules will be bent without breaking, hopefully. And that's what marketers are going to do in this world. And so without in the absence of rules, why would we be surprised that some people have gone, quote unquote, over the line? Uh, yeah, I can only imagine there's marketers you know, taking their content into the back room <laughs> to get it away. <laughs> it's like, oh, oh, yeah, where was that content? Oh, we, we just brought it out now. Now the content's okay to publish. Please publish that's right. that for me. That's yeah, I right. think that's something I would love to see the IAB come out immediately and say, here's what all of our members are going to do. They have set up their meetings with each member. Make sure it happens. That would be a great first step. It's going to be hard. I mean, that's a hard thing to do, right? Because you're talking about standards now, which nobody's going to like. No, you know, And their members are, quite frankly, the advertisers who are trying to push those limits. So it's, it's literally like going to the teams and saying, okay, let's talk about a standards of rules here. And, and everybody's going to have their own standards about what they think should be. And it's well, going to be really yes, hard. Yes, you're right. But the easy first step is just let's just make sure our wording is the same. Let's yeah, just say exactly. that everything I mean, that's right. says that's paid right. advertisement sponsored content. Whatever. Maybe that's an easy one. That is an easy one Done. for sure. All yes. the other stuff. I mean, I think you'll get great the FTC point. That's a great point. kind of to stand back a little bit if there was some consistency in that standpoint instead of everything they're saying in association with. Yes. I think it's what we should do. <laughs> I'm all day long in association with. Oh, my gosh. All right. <laughs> Shall we do the next story? Let's, let's, let's. Okay. This one comes to us also, interestingly, central uh, out of uh, Europe. Um, and the headline here is the 10 key media and publishing moments of 2015. The article comes to us courtesy of FIP.com. Do you know FIP.com, Joe? I, I've never I heard do. of this yes. website. You yes. do. All right. Well, their, good for you. I get their um, um, email newsletter. Okay. There it's you go. FIP.com. And the article opens up by saying the last 12 months, meaning 2015 in media and publishing, have been transitional rather than revolutionary. Arguably the most seismic changes from the unstoppable growth of mobile to the emergence of native advertising uh, and date from a few years ago, which means that in 2015, publishers have largely been coming to terms with what these trends mean for their business. Not sure I buy that necessarily, but okay. Um, and then they go on to talk about basically 10 key media publishing moments. Moments, naming in not I won't name them all, but just for a few here: ad blocking, Snapchat, Discover. Uh, basically, they talk about paywalls coming down, the purchase of publications like Business Insider, Serial, and the rise of the podcast, Apple Watch. I don't know what that is doing in here at all, but um, and Periscope versus Meerkat. So, what what of these sort of discoveries did you take out of here that were? Seminal as a part of publishing and media of 2015. Honestly, there were only two that really resonated with me. Even like, okay, Snapchat Discover launches, great. You know, yeah, a lot of a lot of publishers <clears throat> brought their paywalls down. I mean, it's interesting. FIP is these are where the big traditional global publishers, right? Go. Exactly. I mean, I've been to one of their conferences one time. It was in Europe, and yeah, this it's it's a big deal. But the the thing that I think was the most talked about of the ten on this list, it's number one has got to be ad blocking. I, mean, oh, I think sure, ad blocking was probably the phrase of the year, more than what A &A said <laughs> content, was content marketing. marketing. Yeah, right? It was probably more Shh, like ad don't blocking. tell them that. <laughs> no, I got it, and I got to tell you this because we were talking about it before. So I go to today, you know, doing research like you know you and I do before our podcast. I go to right. a Forbes site, and I got the little stop thing that says, "Hey, you currently have ad blocking software on. If you uh, disable it, we'll give you this." ad light environment and i'm like well i don't have ad blocking software so i'm like well, what yeah 
okay, I'll just hit continue. I hit continue, and it says, congratulations, thanks for taking down your ad blocking software. Here's your new ad light experience. And I'm like, I don't remember taking down the ad blocking or having it in the first place, but whatever, I go ahead and... But by the time I, I... I never even got to the article because I was already so frustrated by the continue, continue, continue that I went somewhere else. I don't know if that's just just testifies to my impatience about things or I'm just so fed up with this whole ad blocking thing. But it's got to be the term of the year. And I I probably was the Adobe Page Fair report that came out that sort of started this whole thing that said, what was the... Well, that and I think that and, and and iOS making it a default, yes, you know, as part of the Safari experience that you can turn it on. I think you know, or that you know, install you know install third party apps to actually make it happen where it's a default. Um, I think that was probably the tipping point. Well, I think that I mean, what I guess what is to take from that? I, I guess I really think that that those two, let's say those two moments, have spurred on the fact that. I mean, it was going down anyways, because does anybody look at display ads, even if they don't have ad blockers on? But the the display ad, as we know it, it probably has been dead for a while. But of, of course, it's going to become something else because it's gone. I mean, it's, yeah. it's even hard, honestly, on the publisher side, it's even hard to monetize. So where does that, you know, 10 or 15 percent of total, you know, de- advertising spend go? I'm asking a question. Maybe it's a rhetorical question. <laughs> well, I'm no, I, to myself. Where does, look, well, where does that money go? Content marketing, perhaps. <laughs> I don't know. You, you kind of sounded like you were like off in a little dream there. I didn't know that you were actually asking me a question. I forgot um, you were on the show. Oh, I got I you. Yeah, no, that I frequently doing, happens. I was doing my audio journal. I see. Of 2016. <laughs> oh, dear. I'm never going to live this down now. Um, <laughs> here's what I think. You know, so look, what these all say to me, if I look at them sort of in context with one another... Basically, they, they, you could wrap them all up into the disruption of how consumers are accessing content yeah. on, you know, throughout, you know, through devices, through platforms, the way that we access and filter the, the, the amount of content that we consume is changing and it has changed. And to me, what I just, I mean, we talked about this last week on the show, but what I just don't get is why the reaction by publishers is one of setting up an immediate adversarial relationship rather than, great, here's a recognition that consumers are consuming content in a different way and some have different preferences. Let's use that to our advantage and by delivering them a different kind of experience based on our knowledge of whether they know. Now, they were, now Forbes was obviously wrong with you, but if you had just gone into a differently formatted experience... And whether they told you or not, in other words, if I can create as a publisher an experience for those that are using ad blocking that uses sponsored articles or some sort of notification of that, you know, every this particular section is sponsored by so and so and this particular section is sponsored by so and so and they monetize it in a different way, one that opens up so many more opportunities for, as a revenue generator for me as a, as a publisher. Now, I hear the argument that this doesn't scale very well and, and it doesn't scale in the same way that advertising was, but it's, it's at least a way to create an affinity with consumers by not setting up a wall between you and their consumption habits. And so that to me is just, that to, I don't know, it's just such a no-duh ex- decision for me. I'm not sure why it hasn't happened yet. And and the only anomaly in that list there is the Apple Watch. I just don't think the Apple Watch is, is quite frankly, that, that big a deal for media and publishing. 
no, I think you're right. It's, I guess I would call it friction. Everything yeah, is, right. Every, That's a better any, word for it. That's any, a better word for it. Any kind of friction. That's a better word for it. The whole list besides the iWatch, which I guess <clears> in its own way is a different kind of friction. But the other nine are, it's all about how long does it take me to get to a piece of content? That's a great, that's a great point. That's a great point. Yeah. And it's everything because all these other ones are, oh, the sun's paywall came down. This thing's going free. Uh, what was the other one down here? Uh, the po- you know, podcasting, I mean, is Of is course, right. Uh, which, by, by the way, that was my second thing. So the first one was ad blocking. And the second thing, we've been seeing a steady rise in podcasting, um, obviously, for the last five or six years. But I think that 2016, because of the intersection with now there is no barriers to entry, not only for people to access audio content in any way, but it's there's it's very, very easy to create. I think the other thing is we're finally seeing brands of all sizes look at podcasting as a viable advertising opportunity. I think that's, I think that's, well, I mean, and that's, so that segues really nicely into our next article actually to cover, which is, comes to us courtesy of Mumbrella, the Australian publication, um, which the headline reads podcast where people choose to listen to ads. Um, And this is an argument in an article by Corey Layton, who says that basically podcasts are at the vanguard of innovating ads that people want to consume. When was the last time he asks that you were so engrossed with an advertisement that you rewound it to hear again. No, never, not even once. Well, he posts a, a tweet from someone who basically says, I just rewound cereal to hear to hear the, the male, is it male Kemp or male chimp ad, um, basically talking about a revolution taking place in the traditional media giants um, that have yet to realize it. So I guess he's basically saying podcast, I guess to me, this feels like, you know, here we are, back in 1970s again or 1960s again with the the sponsorship of radio programming but i mean is this the new vanguard of 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 you know inserting content into ads and sponsorships and that sort of thing does this really change things or is or is podcast merely uh, an old expression of an analog way of delivering a, a paid for message you i mean you were just talking about that new model where you would have um you know, how do you get your advertising message intertwined with the content itself? That's a you know very hard to scale that model, but that's where moving away from display into something more customized. Well, that's what podcasts have done since podcasts started, and of course, you know, back to the soap opera days, Texaco right. Theater, exactly. whatever. That's yep. how it was done, and I think that we are going to see more and more of that. And you don't have to worry about necessarily somebody fast forwarding through. Because the the host and well, like we do, hopefully, hopefully we make it somewhat interesting, <laughs> right? Or, and they're like, oh, it's only going to be thirty seconds or forty five seconds or a right. minute anyway. So we'll just listen to it, and we know firsthand of a lot of business that we've been able to send our partners ways because of just the way we present it, or or that they're actually listening to it and they're not ignoring it or fast forwarding through it or right. whatever the case is. So, I mean, I think Corey's absolutely right. I mean, I don't know, I don't know how many people are actually listening to it again from that standpoint but i i think that you know if you've listened to any of gimlet media's podcasts and i've li- i listen to startup their podcast startup on occasion which is great. sure we've covered it on this uh podcast quite, quite a few times they do a really good job i mean they take a really real journalistic viewpoint at the commercial and telling authentic authentic stories they usually go out to a customer of let's say mailchimp or whatever the case is or ford or whatever or audible and and they do something you know really uh, innovative from that standpoint. So I mean I don't 
I don't know what this means behind there's a there's a lot more brands I think saying, "Hey, let's advertise on podcasts and let's create our own podcast." I would say that. Don't you would you agree with that? I totally agree with that. Yeah. I mean, I think in general, I think what you're starting to see is, you know, and I know this gets a little bit to your to your rant a little later, which is this the idea of owned media and building an audience is <laughs> fancy that. This thing content marketing is actually a good idea. <laughs> and so, you know what I mean? It's like but whether or not we actually use a method of paying for placement to you know, one of the so I'll say it like this because I'm a little tongue tied about it. But it, but what I'll say is one of the best methods of paid promotion uh, that I've seen of late is where the paid promotion is being used to promote content, not necessarily a product. And so I can see a vein of advertising really starting to grow where what we're paying for, what we're paying, our paid placement is built around the idea of pulling into a, uh, pulling a customer into our audience rather than immediately trying. Now, of course, that doesn't mean that the buy now, get a coupon, you know, you know, slap your head, you know, once to the head, once to the head isn't going to work. But what it means is, is that there's an opportunity to rise above in this sponsored way to not necessarily say, hey, here, buy now something, but hey, actually subscribe to this thing that we've created because then you're, you're much better integrated into the content. The example mm-hmm. I often use is when I go to YouTube and I'm looking at a business video, a Michael Porter video or something from Harvard Business Review, and I see a contextual ad displayed by Google, and the ad is for content. The ad is for a white paper, or the ad is for a podcast, or the ad is... I'm much more likely to be interested in that, because that's my frame of mind at the moment, rather than a buy now button for a coupon of 10% off of this particular software. And so I think there's a real opportunity there in the paid world to advertise content, and I think that's the real evolution here in terms of what we're changing in the way that we actually look at advertising. Well, you and I have talked about it till we're blue in the face at the master classes where people look at, oh, I get an email name or I get somebody to do something and that equates to a lead. Right, exactly. Or we're like, no, it doesn't. It doesn't mean it doesn't. that somebody is, is in the, the journey to buy your product or service. It's mean, it means that you did something at least to get their name and information. That's why I think that if we looked at it that way, which I love that model, and, and of course we've talked to and worked with our advertising partners on the same thing. It's like when they have usually have a problem, uh, there's two things. One is they get the name and then they try to contact them so fast and they wonder why they're not converting. It's like, well, that you have to actually n- do something called nurturing them for a while. And maybe if you look at them as a subscriber first and then pull your leads out of that you know, subscriber pool, you would be more effective than thinking everything is a lead and then and then try to get a subscribership. That's See, exactly I, right. It's just weird. We've been doing that forever. You know that? Like nobody does nobody does that. Nobody goes out and says, let's build an audience first. And then from that audience, then we can see where our opportunities are for yeah. buying for, for selling our products and services. But nobody does that. It almost always goes into product product. Products are okay, let's get it into the, the funnel. Let's let's hit them as fast as we can. And then okay, if you want to subscribe them to something, that's fine, but just stay out of my way because I gotta sell stuff. Yeah, and that's the you know, that's our inability. Which has nothing to, to do at, with this exactly. whole conversation, yeah, but right. <laughs> just thought that I bring that up. Because I could. All I'm right, shall we to the last story of sure. our segment? Okay, let's do so that. Let's, this is let's, a winning episode. I this, think is, this is our best. 
this has to be the best episode we've ever done. It's it's ranty for sure. Well, it's the we best go. episode this year for sure. Yeah, no, it is the best episode this year for sure. Absolutely, the best episode this year. Um, all right, our final story of the show um, comes to us from Calacanis uh, Jason Calacanis's uh, aforementioned named blog here, and he says Snapchat is going to reach a billion users thanks to Generation S. That's and Sam, the smartphone generation. As he says, Snapchat is going to reach a billion users, according to him, and challenge Facebook, YouTube, and mainstream media for the attention of Gen S, the smartphone generation. He says he knows this because this Christmas, a bearded, chubby, and jolly fellow showed me the power of Snapchat, DJ Khaled. Um, and he goes on to talk about DJ Khaled and how, many, how much traffic he gets and how how many views he gets every time he posts a video. I was not aware of this guy beforehand, but uh, you schooled me a little bit on his, from your kids, um, He like, who I guess would be part of this Generation S. But he then goes on to say how Snapchat isn't for everybody, maybe not us old folks, but he predicts that the company will start revenue sharing programs for these stars and basically do what YouTube has done and take over the world. What say you? Is he right? Uh, well, it- to that DJ Khaled, I didn't even know. I didn't have a clue until two weeks ago. And then I was talking to my son and a little cousin, and they were like, oh, this guy is like, he's just, he's got all these keys to success. And what? And I'm like, what? And so I, I watched a little bit of it, and I, I got to tell you, I wasn't all that impressed, but they loved him. I mean, they have, I mean, if you got 3 million people every time that you do a little 15 second update watching it, you're doing something. I don't know if it's right, but you're doing something. Yeah. Um I I don't know. I don't I think it's too early to say whether or not this is a competition to Facebook. I don't think it's in competition to Facebook because from what I'm what I'm gathering, I think Facebook has already lost that audience. I mean, this generation smartphone, which is what he's calling a generation S, and I think he's talking about let's say kids from 10 to 24. Right. Right? Yep. <clears throat> that's not the Facebook. That's that's not who's no. on Facebook. That's right. We're on Facebook. <laughs> right. Exactly. We're not 10 to 24. Right. Um, this is, yeah, this is a little bit different. So this is the Kick, uh, Snapchat. Uh, I don't even know some of the other. The Twitch, uh, you know, th- that type of, you know, sure. Twitch is where yep. everybody's playing video games. Well, Vine. Yeah. It's that Vine. That, well, I don't even know. I don't hear much about Vine anymore. But that. Well, that's my point. I don't YouTube. think we're going to hear YouTube about it. Sure. Yeah. YouTube for sure. But yeah, yeah, I don't know what this I mean for a, for a brand, I guess you would say if you are targeting that group of people, you definitely need to look at Snapchat and see if you even want you just have to decide whether or not you have a strategy or not. Am I going to do something on Snapchat or not? I That's think right. is the the key. Um the challenge is is that from what I can tell and from all the stuff that I've read on it, it's a very personal thing like it's you know Kim Kardashian, or it's this DJ Khaled, or it's something somebody else that has uh, like an Ashton Kutcher type that has a following. It's an individual. He has very strong opinions. It's a specific platform that he's trying, he or she's trying to build, and they build an audience that way. It's very. See, I hard. think that's the personality, not the platform. I yeah. think I think that DJ Khaled guy would have found a way to innovate on any platform and find his audience. I don't think I don't think it's Snapchat is what made him. Who but he it, is. I don't know. I mean, the medium is the message. I guess it depends on how you look oh, at it. Oh, wait mean, till you hear my rant. Oh, okay, good. I want to hear this rant. Yeah. But the this the the way that this guy is creating these five second, ten second, fifteen second videos would not be successful on YouTube. 
that would not be tolerated on YouTube with that very hard to find pieces of content where you're not just going to go to YouTube and sit there for, and by the way, and YouTube is not going to give you the audience for that. They want you to do a 15 minute video because they need to monetize I guess, yeah. that. I guess my point is, is that even if it's not DJ Khaled, it's somebody else. And so in other words, the world's not going to miss DJ Khaled if he's not there. In other words, he's ta- he is indeed taking advantage of the medium as it exists today. But yeah. so, but he, if he's talented, if he has lasting staying power, he would have found a way to translate that power into and that talent into whatever platform. So it wouldn't have been the same thing. It would have been DJ Khaled doing longer form videos or something different. Yeah, yeah. You know, so I think he's he found his niche in a new platform because it was a shallow place that nobody there wasn't a lot of competition so he was able to figure out his content tilt as you might say very very quickly and easily Mm -hmm. in a in an uncrowded spot now i think as it becomes more crowded the the, you will have lesser chances of finding the next dj khaled there and i think the the challenge for these quote-unquote celebrities and stars is can they translate into multiple platforms can they translate into something get one the new whatever the new kids are going to be dancing to but two the things that allows them staying power because let's be honest i mean the whole point of snapchat is that it doesn't have any staying power well that's interesting i mean but that would be you know if you if you follow and by the- staying power i mean more than a year i mean i you know i mean if we're still talking about dj Khaled in five years then i'll eat my words but I, I think unless he's able to translate what he's doing, this is the same thing. It's it's this. This has been going on forever. As stars, you know, television stars try to become movie stars. Movie stars are now, in many ways, trying to become TV stars. Radio artists try to become big concert. You know, they, they have any artist, any entertainer that has any level of staying power does so being by being able to transcend genres and transcending platforms. And that's, you know, that's the way you stay relevant in, 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 in front of the, you know, the, yeah. the sort of well, like, social yeah. culture. Well, like what PewDiePie did on YouTube. You know, he's got right. the book. He's in the movies. He's definitely exactly. trans- He's taken that, right. that 33 million followers he has on YouTube, and he's taken that. It doesn't matter. Everybody knows. Everybody in that audience knows who PewDiePie is, regardless that's of right. if you're watching YouTube. That's right. I guess my last question for you is. Is there anything here to Snapchat? I mean, like, what is you have a recommendation here? Is Calicanus, does it even matter what he's saying? Does, I, I, well, <laughs> should we do anything about it? We no, just, I look, I think Snapchat is a, is a, I mean, here, so this now, this is pure conjecture and opinion. This is just on this, Robert so. Rosism. Exactly. Right okay. This has, I'm based in no research, in no, so I think Snapchat is a fad. I think it is a fad that goes away really? relatively quickly. Yes, I do. Oh my gosh. I don't, I don't think so. All right. Well, we'll see. I don't know. Maybe Google buys it along with yeah, Twitter. Yeah, I, you know, I mean, could it become something else? Sure. But I just don't think, I, I, I don't think it, I, don't, I think it's a fad. Now, by fad, I don't mean done in a couple of months. I mean fad like it's not, you know, we're not going to be talking about Snapchat in five years. I don't think. I just don't think. I mean, if you, if you I think if you look at all the social media platforms that have launched over the last 10 years, you, you're, it's on your side. The odds are on your side. Yeah, I would agree because with that the majority too. Yep. of them, even when they get up and they grow super fat, even like a vine or something like that, they they just don't make it, you know, past a, a year or two. 
That's right. Of of really of real significance before they are sold and they're integrated with some other property. Exactly. Exactly. All right. I'm with you. All right. Well, speaking of that, speaking of being with me, we have, I mean, we're continuing our January love for ourselves. That's right. And um, our self-love, as it were. Um, <laughs> talking about This, CMI. again, goes on definitely the, the best. Uh, we have a We've lovely sponsor a to talk about. We should apologize jointly to our fans out there for this. <laughs> <laughs> this is tragedy. Robert, I'd like to talk to you about Intelligent Content Conference 2016. Oh, I, I love that show. I you're aware of this. I love that show. Conference going on. Did you know, sir, that the majority of the most amazing case studies from the best-known brands in the world have, a let's say, a great story? I'd heard that somewhere. Story. Yeah, they, but they tell those stories in text video audio form and then maybe they decide to repurpose that content into multiple forms by you know pulling from all the content assets available and for the most part and i guess i'm asking if you agree with this each time for the most part a brand does this they want to create a new content asset from the original idea they essentially have to start over they essentially have to then take each new content asset becoming a separate and discrete and very time intensive project it's actually quite sad that this it is. It's a it's, crime it's how unintelligently some content is that's, created. In that's many a really good way to put it. Well, well, fixing that process is exactly why CMI decided to purchase Intelligent Content Conference in 2014, and we are continuing this tradition at ICC 2016, our event in March uh, 7th through 9th, 2016, in wonderful Las Vegas at the M Resort. You will learn how to create and manage a content strategy specifically designed. For a marketing professional, you will understand everything you need to do before you hit publish. So at this event, you're not going to get oh, you're not going to get anything about Snapchat at this event, folks. You're not going <laughs> to right. hear about social media distribution <laughs> tactics. You're going to understand how you need to set your content up ahead <clears throat> of time. You're going to get uh, either super beginner or ultra advanced strategies. I would encourage you to go to intelligentcontentconference.com, check through the event or t- check through the agenda. Uh, we have topics like how to document and refine your content strategy, how to create structured content, how to select and integrate the best tools and technology for your content, how to personalize your content across multiple channels, agile principles, on and on and on. We've got 40 other amazing sessions from brands such as IBM, Symantec, uh, Wake Forest Innovations, uh, The Medicines Company, uh, National Association of Realtors. Met, yeah, exactly. Many, many more. <clears throat> and of course, while we'd like to have a ton of fun at these events, uh, this event is really for those who want to get serious about content and marketing processes. Again, March 7th through 9th, 2016 in Las Vegas, intelligentcontentconference.com. Use code PNR, capital P, capital N, capital R, to save $100 off registration, I would just say to find out whether this is right for you, please check out the agenda. And if you have any questions, email us at thisoldmarketing at contentinstitute.com. But please go to intelligentcontentconference.com for all the information. Good show. Good show. And, I, and you're speaking there? I, I am indeed. I, a, this is a topic and a thing I've had, as you know, a passion for for a good many years. It is my background. It is where I grew up. Um, in technology and content from, you know, as I was talking about it when I was a young pup. When you were um, a young Back pup. in the day. Um, it was, uh, yeah. So this is, this is right up my alley. I, I love it. I love every bit of it. 
So I'm su- I'm super excited about it. I think yep. that uh, we, you and I have both been working hard on the agenda. So yeah, if exactly. you can, we'd love to see you there. Hey, we would love to see you there. All right, folks. It is now time for your favorite part of the show. It is our rants and rave segment where Joe and I go off on a little bit of a rant or a little bit of a rave over something that makes us feel like, oh, I don't know, Rogue One is about to uh, launch or something like the Angry Birds movie. Um, <laughs> and so it's hard for me to believe there's going to be an Angry Birds movie. But, yeah, there it is. Um, and I guess I'm first, aren't I? Because you, you I have first. this old marketing this yes, uh, this are. week. Um, okay, well, I have – so th- I'm going to do a bit of a speed round here with one that's a little longer than the other two. But I basically have two raves and a rant. Um, and so let me just rave really quickly here. The first rave is for Jay Okunzo, who has a blog called SorryForMarketing.com. And basically he has this thing called the jargon monster and the naked little truth in a blog post and we'll of course link to it in the show notes and i'm not going to spoil anything about this other than to say go read this post it is absolutely wonderful he basically breaks down to its simplest form what he calls the naked little truth and there's little animations and he's got a thing for it about what content marketing really is if you're looking for a very simple way to describe content marketing to someone that you love or have to work for go read this post it is just absolutely brilliant I loved it I loved it I loved it and I commented on it and told Jay how much I loved it All right. second one that I want to rave about is courtesy of adage.com by Shiv Singh who's the senior VP of global uh, digital marketing at Visa. Um, And he has an article that he calls a CMO's checklist for marketing transformation. And as you might expect, a lot of it has to do with, as he says, creating memorable, recognizable customer experiences. So again, I won't spoil the post, but just go read it. It's a wonderful, wonderful set of checklists in terms of how you're approaching digital as a CMO or as a marketing leader in your organization. And then the last thing that I'll rant about a bit, and this is a little off topic, but it's so interesting that you mentioned McLuhan and and, uh, the messages, the medium, Joe, because so this is an article that I read over the holidays and it's basically coming to us from the Washington Post and it's a digital article and it's basically um, about what it's called welcome or, or basically recognition of the digital dissenters. And it's, it caught my eye. And so I opened it up and started to, to, to read it. And the article is actually not what I'm going to rant on because the article is actually relatively well written and it's and it's you know it's very balanced et cetera et cetera. But it talks about this group of people that are now calling themselves Team Human, um, and it's the whole article is about meeting Team Human. And one of like for just as an example of this, that one of the people that they profile is this woman. Her name is Taylor. Her and this is where this is sort of where they lost me. It's like, what does she do for a living? Well, she's a documentary filmmaker, musician, political activist. So she's all three of those things, and she's an emerging star in the world of technology criticism. She's not paranoid, but she keeps duct tape over the camera lens on her laptop computer because, as everybody knows, these gadgets can be taken over by nefarious agents of all kinds in the government, and blah 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 blah. And the article goes on to describe how these people are trying to create a movement. And actually, Douglas Rushkoff, who the author, is one of these and says, you know, this quote that they all rally around, which is this idea of where do humans fit into this economy? Really, and this is where I sort of liken it and the reason I think it's appropriate for this show is, as he says, this is a quote from Douglas Rushkoff. 
where do we fit into this new economy? Really not as creators of value, but as the content. We are the content. We are the data. We are the media. As you use a smartphone, your smartphone gets smarter, but you get dumber. I could not disagree with that statement anymore. I, the reason it caught my eye so much is because I say it a lot. I, I, one of the things that I say in one of my presentations is we are content. We are the content that we create. We are the value that we create. The article goes on in some detail about this and the way that these people are, are really bummed out about these things. And what it got me to thinking about, and this is sort of where I pivot now and sort of you know rant a little bit on, on what they think um, about this idea, because it's something that I see so much in business today about this idea of innovation and change and content and creating content as a disruptive part of what we do as a marketing. Um, and we've had some discussions about this offline with friends of the show who've talked to, you know, is marketing the right place for content? Should there even be a department called content? You know, all this kind of stuff. And it all sort of comes back to me, and it's something I want to work on a little longer this year. With It's an ongoing f- thread I've got with a friend of mine, Tim Walters, where we talk about Marshall McLuhan. And we talk about what message the medium is the message is really about. Because it's so often misused, it's misunderstood. What McLuhan was talking about with the medium, the, the word medium in there, is, is that the medium doesn't have an agenda. It was anything. It's light. It's cardboard. It's the world you live in. It's television, radio, internet technology. The medium is everything. And what the medium is, the message is, is that these new things that we discover how to actually utilize are the way we utilize them is the message. That is what the medium is, the message is so often uh, is about. And as McLuhan plainly said, not so many words, basically, the medium's not out to F us over. It's just out to F with us, right? It's just out to mess with us. So when this article comes out and basically the dissenters are saying, I want to give the internet a good talking to because the internet isn't what it should be. The internet should be something different. I'll just point them back to McLuhan and say, come back when you really understand this. When we talk about innovation or changes in our business or new things or new mediums, We apply our past context to it. So when the dissenters lament this idea of the quote-unquote gig economy and that we are the product when we talk about Facebook or the corporatization of the internet, and when Rushkoff says we are the content, yeah, they're right. But it is we who make the change. We are the ones who make the change. What McLuhan said is is that we, the artists, and only the artists are actually the thing that discern and how to figure out how to write this into the future. Because we are actually the ones who create the thing. So there's a comment actually in, in, in to the article, one of the comments who summed it up well, which basically said, stop bitching about this and go do something about it. Build the thing that you envision. And I think this has wonderful implications to everything that we're thinking about in business as content marketing becomes a new process, it's as an innovation, is that we are the ones who are actually going to have to build the thing, not continually look for the justification of the thing in something else. And, as, so, and I'm going to read you a quote. I'll finish this with a quote from Marshall McLuhan himself. And so the quote goes, quote, every kid knows jobs are finished. Role playing has taken over. The job is a passe entity. The job belonged to the specialist. The kids know that they no longer live in a specialist world. You cannot have a goal today. You cannot say, I'm going to start here and I'm going to work for the next three years and I'm going to do all that and go the distance. Every kid knows that within three years, everything will have changed, including himself and the goal. That's Marshall McLuhan from 1971. And so I'll finish with that. I I think really, truly, we are in such an opportunistic period. But if we don't build the thing, if we don't create the thing, let's not bitch about those who actually do. 
that's my rant and me well, and my race. I love that. I think that that's you'll find that in every generation since yeah, the dawn exactly. of time. Whatever exactly. comes along, you're going to have people that say, well, it's because that's the way it is and I can't do anything. And you'll have other that's people right. that look at it and see this most amazing opportunity. Like uh, I was talking to somebody the other day that was basically there were a couple people that we both know that were struggling finding a job and finding work and whatnot. And they said how horrible the economy is. And and I said, I have a really jaded look at it because when I look at the economy right now and I look at most of the people that I'm around, I see the greatest opportunity I've ever seen in my life. Yep. So it's hard, but I, I totally get yeah. that no, my, I, my little view of the world is different than somebody else that is a teacher or doing, you know, or working on the line somewhere or something That's else right. that they may not see those opportunities. So I know that I, I don't have that perspective, but it's just all in how you look at it. Totally agree with that. Thank yeah. you. Oh, of course. Thank you for that. That was lovely. Oh, thank you. Thank, thank you. Uh, so my, my rant and rave is based on, I had many, many, and when I met many people, I mean <laughs> yeah, many. I know, I know where you're uh, going with this. Tweet me out, email me that I had to listen to Michael Stelzner's social media marketing podcast on the idea of is blogging dead and whether we should publish on rented land or not. So, of course, when I saw the rented land thing, I said, okay, this is this is for me. So the two guests on Michael's show were two CMI friends, Mark Schaefer and Mitch Joel. So I've got to tell you, Robert, I listened for this. Uh, this is about 40 minutes is the podcast version of this. And I would agree with one statement. And then five seconds later, I would vehemently disagree. It was the whole time, <laughs> like literally. So I, it's hard for me to do a rant and a rave because – the whole, it would be a rant at a rave uh, consistently. So I would just say, if this is something that you're interested in as a as a listener, go ahead and check it out. It's worth the listen, and we'll put you know put the link in the show notes. But here are sure. a couple thoughts yeah. on this. Now, there's no doubt that blogging itself has changed. So Mitch Joel talks about blogging being a personal publishing platform, and while personal publishing is only increasing, just you know, the Facebook or LinkedIn or whatever, the days of I'm a blogger or go to my blog are, are dying and have been dying for a long time. Publishers even ditched those terms long ago and now brands are moving from blogs to publishing platforms and maybe what Andrew Davis would call content brands. So it's not just, I don't do a blog anymore because nobody cares about a blog. But it was interesting to hear both Mark, uh, Mitch and Mark talk about the importance of email as the glue to making the owned media platform work, which I think you and I definitely agree with. But sure. it seemed to me that a lot of the thinking of moving away from an owned media platform, because they both talked about how we have to publish more on other platforms because it's a lot harder to build an audience on an own platform. And that I just simply can't buy. Like, when did, <laughs> when did anybody say it was easy? It was going to be easy to build an audience. And I think, yes, right. is, did it get, has it gotten harder? Yes. Will it continue to be harder? It'll be harder tomorrow than it was today. Yes. I just don't buy that. So I just, and, and, and Mitch said that a lot where it's just harder. So he believes that more people will just go publish on other social platforms. So that's one problem I had with it. And by the way, I love Mitch Jolt to death. I can listen to him forever. He's, inc- he's much smarter than I am, but I definitely disagreed with that portion. So there was one other point that I disagreed with with Mitch on, who stated that consistency is not important anymore in, our, in these days of Twitter and Facebook. And and as everybody knows that that I talk about, um, you know, my latest book, Content Inc. Every successful case study in that book is consistent to the minute. They right. publish a video every week, and they do it at the same time. And if you're looking at, let's say, John Lee Dumas of Entrepreneur on Fire, and he distributes every podcast every day at 3.30 a.m. Eastern time. So I think that 
why you don't have to be consistent. If you want to build an audience, you must be consistent. Uh, depending on if you have other goals, that's fine. So then it, it was a whole bunch of other dialogue that I agreed and disagreed with. But this is the one that I thought was most interesting, Robert. So Mitch talked about something called the network strategy. And this is exactly what uh, my friend Dan McCarthy, former CEO of NCI Communications, used to call the digital footprint. Maybe he still does. So the, the idea of the digital footprint or the network strategy is that most companies will, will focus on a network strategy that is more holistic than one or the other, than let's say owned or it's, it's not all owned and it's not all outside. It's somewhere in the middle. And I was trying listening to this, Robert, trying to put it into the three categories. And, I, and so if I'm looking at what you know, my network strategy would be, it would, one, I would have an owned CMS that would focus on loyalty and growth, and that would be my own property. Two, I would publish on influential properties where your audience is hanging out at, let's say like Huffington Post or a niche community blog, where I would have a regular schedule and a regular part of my channel strategy on those influential properties. And then three, I might also publish on broad social networks like a LinkedIn, a Medium, or a Facebook to find new and unknown audiences. And Mitch was very eloquent when he went through that. And I think that that's, I think, where we are today. I, I don't. When I see this, you don't publish on rented land or you have to, you know, we talk about it all the time. You have to, you have to have some owned property. I think you absolutely do, but it's not that you do one or the other. I think you do all three of these things we talk about as part of this network strategy. Well, that's the, yeah, that's, that's the critical, that's the critical nuance in that quote, right? It's don't build your home on rented land. To, you know, it's not. It's not. You don't use rented land. It's, just, it's exactly not that you don't. Right. It, it, is that? Is that when you publish there? Understand that your purpose for doing so is to pull that audience, new and unknown, in one case, and even because one of the other things that I've uh, I've heard, I did not listen to the podcast sadly in time for this, but one of the other things I heard that they talked about was that Mitch was saying you need to pay for distribution these days, which I totally agree with. I think yep. paying for distribution across the social channels is a great strategy. The reason I and, and it goes back to what we talked about in this show, which is using those paid strategies to pull people back into your owned media property for the purpose of developing a rich audience database, which may be the foundation of which is email or whatever it is, print, you know, a print subscription or you know, basically an audience. And the audience's value varies depending on the level of data and the amount of engagement that they that they have as an audience, right? That there's a difference between a movie theater full of people as an audience and somebody who is a absolute fanatic, a group of people who are fanatics about, you know, something and will travel thousands of miles to go see a band play. Those are just there's just a different level of engagement in terms of the audience there and and varying strategies require different types of approaches and i think but the key is is that where do you reside right where is your home base that's the that's the question i think that's and that's the issue i think that if your home base is on some property that you don't control i'd be nervous absolutely that's why it. wouldn't you i mean it's just it's you know what it reminds me of it reminds me and i, I remember when i was at penton media back in the day before we had the first correction back in 2001 where i knew so many people that had a hundred percent of their retirement in pet and stock and they got crushed because they didn't diversify and i think that's exactly where i think it's it's like you just don't do that anymore we know better than to put all our eggs into that basket when literally we don't have any control over the decision make decisions being made over that company or that stock yeah so and it's like gambling yeah no it's good it's 
It's a great. It's a great. I I, I need to go listen to that. I have not. So anyways, had a yeah, to we'll put it in the show yet. notes. Yeah. It's worth a, it's worth a listen. I'd love to get your take after it. Uh, yeah, but yeah. I, but you know what, Robert? After listening to that podcast, I could see why so many people are confused about this subject because every expert out there says something different. Yeah. So <laughs> this is like unbelievable. <laughs> Fancy that pundits yeah. don't agree, right? Exactly. Yeah. That's you know. All right. All right. Now it is time for our last segment, and our, of course our namesake for the show, our this old marketing example, and 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 I have it this this week, and and a huge big hat tip to our creative director Joe Kalinowski, and by the way, congratulations on your Steelers, my friend, who snuck quite snikily, I would say, into the uh, playoffs this year. Anyway, I won't go off on a rant on that. <clears throat> But uh, J.K. sent us a wonderful – he was at his parents' house over the holidays and actually picked up a a magazine, which he then discovered this wonderfully rich vein of content marketing that is just a great – this old marketing example. And basically what it it is is the Pennsylvania Rural Electric Cooperative. Um, And the idea of the Pennsylvania Rural Electric Cooperative, of course, is as – even as late as the mid-1930s, electricity was still way out of reach for many that were in rural sort of areas, 90 percent of Pennsylvania, it turns out. Um, And private power companies didn't find it profitable to provide electricity's way out in the nether regions of of these areas. So basically, community-based rural electric cooperatives started to spring up and basically provide electricity service to to these local areas. Well, of course, the Pennsylvania Rural Electric Cooperative was one of these – and has continued to provide electri- electricity services to more than a couple of hundred thousand rural homes and businesses. They have a magazine and have been publishing. This is celebrating, and what uh, Joe had picked up uh, at his parents' house was the 50th year anniversary of this magazine um, that they has been in circulation for as long, which is a magazine published monthly by the Pennsylvania Rural uh, Electric Association. And really, it's this magazine that is focused, by the way, it is paid for through ads and sponsorships and, and it's a, so it's this awareness and advertising and sort of loyalty experience that they have created that also pays for itself through the sponsorship of content of of, of, of advertising within the magazine itself and it basically focuses on life in rural you know Pennsylvania social issues political issues economic issues community development health education all this kind of stuff and better and more efficient uses of electricity. Yay, guess how that supports their business mission, (laughs) teaching people how to more efficiently use the electricity that they're getting, as well as all that human interest stuff that would be in the magazine. It is now published to more than, uh, as it says, 166,000 subscribers. So you can do the math there. 166,000 people get it, and they serve 200,000 people. So it's very, very high percentage of their customers are getting this magazine and have done so for the last 50 years. Just an amazing example of this old marketing and how a cooperative that's providing electricity to a constituency base is using a content vehicle to deliver experiential value in a really wonderful way. And nothing like good old print. Yeah, exactly. Right. By the way, I just read. Uh, it also has a digital version as well. You can read it online version, as true. well. True. Yep. But I, you know, I just great, great story. Thanks, uh, J.K. for that. And I just read another story that said that print, print books are to rise in uh, in two thousand. That's right. Yeah, Bo Sachs said that out. Yeah. yeah, yeah, very interesting. Yeah, all right then. So, uh, so what's your plans the rest of the week? Uh, you know, I uh, this week is a little bit of a down week for me. I'm just getting sort of prepped because I kicked this year off with a bang on Saturday. I go to Istanbul. So next oh week goodness. when we do the show, yeah, I'll be doing it from Istanbul, Turkey, um, which should be exciting and entertaining and all that kind of stuff. So I'm doing a workshop there for a big pharmaceutical company, and and then coming right back, uh, right back home. Very quick trip. 
um, if there is such a thing, a quick trip to Istanbul, and then starting my travel plans again. Yeah, it's it all begins again. No, there is not such a thing as a quick trip to Istanbul. <laughs> right. There and, is you? and you? And uh, you? You know what? This week, uh, lots of calls. Uh, lots of stuff going on in the office, uh, finalizing our you know our year, getting everything in order. I'm in Denver next week, and then nice. it starts, you know, very very busy uh, tour of duty with with speaking gigs and and whatnot. In Here 2016. we go. So I'm rocking and rolling. The quiet before. Yeah. All of it. So that awesome, is it, my friend. All right, let's rock and roll into the new rock year, and roll, and baby. Let's do you it. folks rock and roll into the new year. We hope you have a wonderful, joyous basically a bountiful new year of all kinds of fundamental transformational change for this our first recorded episode of 2016 this is it for joe polizzi this is robert rose signing off and you know continue to tweet us up we love getting that onslaught of stuff at the hashtag this old marketing on the twitter and you know follow us if you wanted to on come to see us at, or send us an email at this old marketing at contentinstitute.com. and if you like this episode number 112 by the way do consider subscribing on iTunes or Stitcher.com and leave us a review, won't you? Leave us a nice, kind, wonderful five-star review. We'd really love that, too. We need more reviews all the time. All the links we talked about today, of course, will be in the show notes available within the show and, of course, on Saturday when we publish it, thisoldmarketing.com. Until then, everybody, we'll, uh, you know, it's your story to tell. Tell it well. We'll see you next week on This Old Marketing. is part of the CMI Podcast Network. Check out all of our shows at contentmarketinginstitute.com.